0: The text for this morning's service is taken from Matthew 2, verses 17 and 18. Let's read that once again. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. And then after the sermon, we will sing from Psalm seventy-nine, the stanzas one, four, and five. <clears throat> Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, to the world, Christmas is about sweetness and innocence. It's about God's love it's about God's love shown through the baby Jesus who made this world a better place. The passage that we take under consideration this morning however is not about sweetness and innocence. This passage reminds us what an evil world we actually do live in. It's a world full of envy and self-indulgence. It's a world full of hatred and murder. It is a world where many awful things happen. And what a horrible thing happened there in Bethlehem. It is described in only one short sentence. Matthew doesn't elaborate, doesn't give us many details. He doesn't need to. We're told that Herod gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under. We don't know how many children that were. Bethlehem was only a small village at that time. It may have been the size of our own church community. And how many children that age do we not have in our church? I think it must be close to 30. Can you imagine if something like that happened to us? Can you imagine if the police at the order of the government would come into this church building? and kill all our children two years of age and under? How would you feel? How would you feel as parents and grandparents? Words cannot begin to express the grief that you would experience. And so what happened there in Bethlehem is indescribably horrible. And therefore we would rather not think about it, would we? Yet... This story is included in the Bible as part of the Christmas story. This world associates the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ with all kinds of good and nice and sweet things. Because of the Christmas songs, most people in the Western world know some of the details of the birth of Christ, that he was born in the town of Bethlehem, that there was no room for him in the inn, that he was laying in a manger, that the wise men from the east came to worship him. But this story about the murder in Bethlehem is not repeated. Why not? Because it is too horrible? Because it is not a story that you want your children to hear? Because you do not want them exposed to the horrible things that can happen in this world? And that's understandable. And yet, the Bible does include it, And it does so for a reason. What would that reason be? The answer is given in verse 17 and 18. There it speaks about Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted. She wept. Understandable. Rachel had given birth, but she is about to die. And she is still fairly young. Who wouldn't weep at a time like that? And yet Rachel's weeping is typified as the weeping of someone who does not wish to be comforted. And this obviously is not meant in a positive way. Rachel is not mentioned either in a positive way in Genesis 35 nor in Jeremiah 31. And therefore the same thing is true here in Matthew 2. The weeping of Rachel is compared to the weeping in Bethlehem after the murder of all their innocent babies. And so there is implied criticism here. There is something wrong here. Why? Why would Matthew make a negative remark concerning the weeping of the people in Bethlehem whose little babies were murdered? Who wouldn't weep? What mother, what father, what grandparent would not weep at a time like that? And so, what does Matthew have in mind here? Brothers and sisters, that's what we will deal with this morning. I've summarized the text as follows. Rachel weeps for her children. Look at three things. First of all, why she wept. Secondly, for whom she wept. And then finally, for whom she should have wept. The text mentions Rachel, who is she? She became the wife of Jacob seven years after he married her older sister Leah. But things were not well between the two sisters. Rachel was jealous of Leah, who had borne several children already for Jacob. There was bitter rivalry between the two sisters. Rachel, more than anything, also wanted to bear children for her husband and she would do anything for a child. She doesn't want to wait for the Lord, and so she takes things into her own hands, and she plots and she schemes. She gives her maid Bilhah to Jacob so that she could have children through her. But the Lord continues to keep Rachel's womb closed. Rachel believes that her happiness and her worth as a woman depends on bearing offspring not for the Lord, but for herself. And so her life is a life full of weeping. And then finally the Lord does open her womb. He gives her a son. Her tears are turned into laughter, but not for long. She names her son Joseph. The name means, may the Lord add to me another son. Rachel does not allow herself to enjoy the birth of her first son. The name that she gives him shows that she is still not satisfied. She wants more. And the Lord does give her another son. But not in the way that she expected. For the child is born before she arrives with her husband in the land of Canaan. And that's where she wanted to be with her offspring, basking in happiness the happiness that she acquired for herself and her husband. But the Lord had other plans. The Lord cuts her life short. Rachel will not enter the promised land. She will not live to a ripe old age with her children and grandchildren around her. No, Rachel dies as she gives birth to her second child. And just before she dies, she gives her last will and testament she gives orders to name him Benoni son of my sorrow or child of misfortune Rachel dies without comfort she did not attain attain in life what she wanted to attain she was full of bitterness and anger for the way that her life turned out and so for whom Did she ultimately weep? Well, Rachel wept for herself and for her children. She wept for the fact that she would not have her children around her. She wept for the fact that things did not happen according to her plan. And that is also why Jeremiah refers to the weeping of Rachel. He says in Jeremiah 31 verse 15, This is what the Lord says, A voice is heard in Ramah, mourning and great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because her children are no more. Ramah is mentioned here. And that was the place where foreign conquerors ordered the defeated multitude to be assembled for deportation to faraway places. It is from that place that people would also be sent into exile. It is important to know that Ramah is located on the border between two kingdoms, between Israel and Judah. And because of its location, it was able to represent both kingdoms. The same thing could also be said about Rachel. She, too, represents both kingdoms. For she is the mother of Joseph and the mother of Benoni, whom his father later renamed Benjamin. And Joseph was the father of Ephraim and Manasseh. Throughout scripture, Ephraim is often representative of all the ten northern tribes of Israel. That's also the case in chapter 31 of Jeremiah, where Ephraim is mentioned time and again, also in verse 18 and 20, which we read together. And when the prophet mentions Ephraim, then he's referring every time to the ten northern tribes of Israel. Ephraim, the son of Joseph, is used as a collective term to indicate the northern kingdom. But Rachel is not only the mother or the grandmother of Ephraim, she is also the mother of Benjamin. And Benjamin, together with Judah, make up the southern kingdom. And so Sarah, like the city Ramah, could represent the twelve tribes of Israel. When Jeremiah writes his prophecy, Rachel is figuratively still alive. She is watching, as it were, all her children being gathered together at Ramah. They are gathered together there in order to be sent into exile because they sought the comfort of the world. They did not seek the comfort of God, and so God sends them into exile. And Rachel, representing the 12 tribes, mourns bitterly because she is being deprived of her children. First, Israel, the 10 northern tribes, go into exile. And next, Judah is forced to leave the promised land. Figuratively, Rachel sees that some of them are killed and others become slaves and outcasts in a foreign country. Worldly powers, first, Assyria, Then Babylonia robbed Rachel of that, what was so dear to her, her children. Her children go into exile. And now we can also have a little more understanding of why Matthew quotes these words in his gospel. For we can see the parallelism. Because of the slaughter of Bethlehem's children, Matthew pictures Rachel as weeping once more. And for essentially the same reason. The children of Bethlehem are no more. For Bethlehem did not receive the Son of God. They pretended that he was not needed. And those mothers, those mothers in Bethlehem, now they bear their children in vain. And this time it was again a foreign power which destroyed them. Not Assyria this time or Babylon, but this time it was Edom for King Herod was an Edomite. Again, Rachel is deprived of her children. and Bethlehem is again a place for weeping, for it was at or near Bethlehem that Rachel herself died. The mothers in Bethlehem weep, and is it any wonder? For their little ones were torn ruthlessly from their breasts and callously put to death Their little ones were no more. And so they weep for themselves and they weep for their children. But they refuse to be consoled. But is it true that for believers there is no consolation, brothers and sisters? Was there no comfort for Bethlehem in spite of her miserable circumstances? Was there no comfort for Rachel? at the time when her second son was born. And so did Rachel weep for, the, weep for the right reason and for the right person? No, she didn't. And the same thing is true of the citizens of Bethlehem. For whom, then, should Rachel have wept? We come to the third point. Why was Rachel so bitterly disappointed in life? Well, because she had certain expectations of life that were not realized Rachel was a very ambitious person she set a goal for herself and she pursued it with all her cunning but she couldn't attain these things Rachel wept because her own agenda was not realized Rachel wept for herself she didn't place her life in the hands of the Lord she was tied to this earth And to what this earth had to offer. She looked for happiness here and now. Her perspective on things did not include God. Oh sure it's understandable that she wept. Who wouldn't weep under those circumstances. This world is full of pain and sorrow and death. That was the case then. And that is the case today as well. Also during this Christmas holiday we have heard of tragedies. Another soldier is killed in Afghanistan. In the news this morning, we are told that 14 children were killed near an Afghan primary school because of a suicide bombing. And a few days ago, we heard that an evil father donned a Santa Claus suit and killed nine members of his own family. And we hear of children being killed in car accidents, of fires that take the lives of whole families. And what about the rest of the world? Millions of people are without proper food or medical care. Many of them are starving to death right now. Can we not weep? Should we not weep about those things? Oh, yes, there is much pain and sorrow in this world. And sometimes there is much pain and sorrow in our own lives. But the Lord God continues to remind us that there is more than this life here on this earth. God gives eternal life through His Son to all those who believe. In the midst of misery, He always gives hope. We may weep because of the bad things that happen, but we cannot remain in our grief, brothers and sisters. The Lord God gives us consolation through His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the one who rules all things. He is the one who has all things in His hands. And all plans must be subservient to his plans. Rachel wanted to bear children in order to fill her own dreams, in order to make her own life complete. But no life is complete without the Lord. Without the Lord in your life, you too will end up bitter and disappointed and uncomforted. Compare her life to the life of her husband, of Jacob. Oh sure, in many ways he was not different than Rachel, for he too in many instances did not wait for the Lord. Jacob often took things into his own hands. Just think about the way that he received his birthright. He received it through trickery and cunning. Together with his mother Rebecca, he fooled his father Isaac. And look at the way he also tricked his father-in-law Laban. No, in that regard, Laban was not any different from his wife. Not any different from any of us, really. For even though Rachel gave to him Bilah to have children through her, Jacob didn't refuse that either. He went along with the whole thing. He didn't bring any objections. But there was one important way that he was different from his wife. On her deathbed, Rachel refused to be consoled. She called her son Benoni, son of my soul. Those were the last words that came out of her mouth. But what did Jacob say on his deathbed? Well, he said in connection with the blessing that he gave to Dan, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. That is quite a bit different than Rachel's bitter lament. Jacob consoled himself in the coming of his Savior. He looked forward to him. There were no words of bitterness at the end of his life. Words of faith, words of hope came from his mouth. In spite of his many mistakes and shortcomings throughout his life, Jacob chose to live close to the Lord. But when Rachel called her second son, Benoni, son of my sorrow, Jacob would not allow that name to stand. In spite of his deep grief at the loss of his wife, the apple of his eye, he did not share her pessimistic outlook. And so he called him Benjamin, son of my right hand or child of joy. No doubt Jacob wept as well at the death of Rachel. But Jacob, did allow himself to be consoled. And he wept at another time as well. You may remember how Jacob fought with the angel at the river Jabbok, at which time the angel touched his thigh and he became a cripple. And at which time his name was also changed from Jacob to Israel, which means he who strives with God. He fought with the angel through the night and he prevailed. And why did he prevail? Was it because he was stronger than the Lord? Of course not. Jacob prevailed, brothers and sisters, because he wept. And that is what the scriptures tell us. Oh sure, you won't find this in Genesis 32, exactly in those words anyway where that episode is described. But you will find this in Hosea 12, verse 4 and following. Listen to what it says there. It says he that is Jacob struggled with the angel and overcame him. He wept and begged his favor. At one point in his struggle, Jacob realized that he was struggling with the angel of the Lord. Indeed, with the Lord himself. Jacob wept. Why did he weep? He wept as a sign of submission. And Jacob sought the favor of the Lord he begged for mercy he sought the Lord's favor for he knew how uneven the struggle was he humbled himself before the Lord his God and so you see that the Lord God does not reject us when we weep no on the contrary he did not do that in the case with Jacob either in order to understand that better we had better know the difference between weeping and weeping there are those who weep because of their own grief. And that was the case with Rachel and also with the town of Bethlehem, representing the nation of Israel, as she mourned the death of the children at the hand of the cruel Herod. And they wept because they served the Lord according to their own needs and wants, because their own ambitions were being realized. Many of them will have been religious, But it doesn't mean that they were spiritual. And that was also the case with Rachel. She too was a a religious woman. But her religion was no comfort to her because it was only an outward thing with her. Religion had to serve her. That's how it is with a lot of people, also amongst us. They have their own religion. Outwardly, everything seems to be in order. But they serve God in order to achieve their own ends. And if that is the way it is with you or with me, then we too will find no consolation in this life. And then if things do not turn out the way we have planned, we too will turn bitter and disappointed, as happened to Rachel. She found no consolation because she refused to be consoled. She sought herself rather than the Lord. And anyone who does that will find no consolation in this life. For we do not know what this life is going to bring us. We do not know what this new year has in store for us. But we do know that if we trust in the Lord and in His ways, that we will be consoled even if terrible things happen to us. Does that mean that we cannot weep? Of course we can. As long as you weep for the right reasons, as long as we allow ourselves to be comforted, James says in chapter 4, verse 9 of his letter, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Why does James want us to weep? He he wants us to weep because of our sins. He wants us to weep because of the way that we have dealt with the Lord our God who treated us in love. Weep, you sinners, weep for the fact that you have broken every single commandment of the Lord. Weep because of the filth that clings to you. Weep because of the way that you treat your fellow human being the way that you treat your family members, your brothers and sisters in the Lord. Oh yes, weep. But do so for the right reasons. Not because you have been wronged, but because Christ has been wronged. And if that is how we weep, then alone there is comfort for you. For Christ says in Luke 6 verse 21, Blessed are you that weep now, for you shall laugh. Oh, yes, there will be laughter and happiness also in the new year. How so? Because God always promises to wipe away our tears. If only we allow him to speak to us with his words of comfort. And then there will be laughter, even if terrible things do happen in our lives. Even if there are troubles in the family, at work or in the church. For you see, God is always in control. Those who laugh now will weep later. The kings, the emperors, the prime ministers, the big executives of large corporations and the governments of the world think that they are such important players in the world. They legislate, they plot and connive, and they have a good time doing so. They laugh. And so do the majority of the people of this world, they seek their comfort in empty ways, in unrestrained sects, in alcohol, in power, in their toys, you name it. But what does Revelation 18 verse 9 say? It says, When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her and shared her luxury see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn Forever. And that will be their time of weeping. For them, there will be no consolation. For them, judgment waits. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy things, and that we cannot enjoy the good things that God gives us, but as long as we give thanks to him, and as long as we do not break God's commandments in enjoying these things. For us, brothers and sisters, things are so completely different You and I, we can face the future with confidence. For the Lord is with us. For in the book of Jeremiah, we do not just read about the weeping of Rachel, but we also read about the comfort for the remnant. They will be surrounded with the everlasting love of God. Why? Because they come back as repented people and God renews his covenant with them and that's also what he will do with you today he once again reminded us of his covenant promises at the time of the baptism of Skyla Leffers every time a child is baptized he reminds us of his faithfulness and of his love the lord god has a plan for skyla she has a plan for you, and for me. And you know what that plan is, brothers and sisters? It is the wonderful plan of salvation for all those who believe and who put their trust in him. If you believe that, you will have comfort. Comfort forever. Amen.